Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a co-creator of the animated series' home movies and Metalocalypse, the founder of Death Clock, measured in Billboard chart success, the most successful death metal group of all time, an elite guitar shredder and also the founder of Galacticon. The second Galacticon album, Become the Storm, was released late last year along with the short film Galacticon Nightmare. Hello and welcome, Brendan Small. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I am happy you were allowed to uh, come here. Your publicist has been mad at me for like 30 years, uh, 20 years now. Oh, good. That's nice. Uh, she and I <laughs> knew each other as teenagers, and she's still mad at me that I wouldn't let her be in my band. Oh, really? I don't know. If I didn't realize. No, I didn't realize that. So what was the band, and what did, what did she play? Okay, so did you, you not know that she's I don't, a musician? I mean, I know that she's in the music industry. I mean, I know that she's music adjacent, but I, Man, I don't I, know. I feel like you don't care to have a personal relationship with your publicist. That's what I'm getting here. Well, um... <laughs> you know, I understand. Yeah. Well. So, here's the problem. She was in... Co- uh, she, she later went to college where she stu- studied classical guitar. And in the band she was in, when I met her, she was playing the Moog. Oh, I, really? Okay. I had a Les Paul in silver leather pants. That's cool. And I she, mean, part she, of that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Half of that statement is very cool. You never got into the leather pant side of. of I don't know. I think the I think the Les Paul is the cool part. Let's just focus on that. I actually have a beef with Les Pauls. I went to go see the Darkness play the other night. Yeah. Damn man. I mean, maybe I just have terrible taste. But yeah, go on. It's it's basically two instruments in one. There's the treble strings, and then there's the bass strings, and it sure. just doesn't seem like there is an amplification system that can adequately handle and balance the two. Because every time they're they're like, and you're like, cool, cool, and then they just dip down to those D and A strings, and it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you can tell me that's the cool part, but goddamn, that ain't cool. I think that's an amp issue. Did you see what they were playing through? Probably classic Marshalls or well, something like Marshalls, that. Well, the Marshalls, it's the darkness. You know what? I mean, a lot of that stuff is weird. Playing guitar live is so strange, and and um, trying to get the sound that cuts through it. The weirdest thing about playing guitar mm-hmm. and is is that when you're playing guitar, sitting in front of an amplifier, the best sound that you want to hear for yourself to enjoy your own guitar playing is not what really makes sense in a, in a track or in a live setting. In fact, what they do is they scoop out all those frequencies that you that they find like contradict or 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 being doubled by like the hi hats, those high sizzly sounds on the guitar and the hi hats. You don't want them kind of competing, so you have to scoop out this this thing. You get what what you get is a fractional sound of a guitar that right. alone, if you isolate guitar sounds in my records and heavy metal records and rock and roll records. It's going to sound pretty thin and wimpy, but mm-hmm. it can sound, and, and and that's that's kind of the weird thing. You have to like amplify the, the low part. You have to EQ the low part and the high right. part. And I play, you know, I play. I mean, basically, you're talking about a, a big stick of wood with humbuckers. So there's a way to make it sound good. It is funny that 
the sound was not great. Uh, it was a big venue here. Oh, who cares? It was the Fonda here in Los Angeles. And I don't know if it's the venue or if it's the the band or if it's the mixer or what have you, but I couldn't even tell you if they played well. Where'd you sit? So that's another thing about going to a concert. It's really important. As you get older, yeah. Yeah, the, the closer right, you you're are, right, you're, you're already right. No, but as as I get older, as I understand how how the room works, it's in my best interest to find if I really want to hear the band. If I want to go and see, I don't care who it is. Like if it's every anybody from like Cannibal Corpse to Steely Dan, I want to find the best seat in the house, and the best seat in the house is always right next to the soundboard. Right. So if you can go right over there, you're probably going to get a good. I went to a show downtown. And I was standing in the weirdest place, and it was this big, huge, just square box theater, and I was listening to, oh, Animals as Leaders, which is super crazy prog, eight-string, um, insane musicianship. But uh, I was standing in the wrong place. I went over to where the soundboard was, which was in the corner of the room, and I was like, this is, sounds amazing here. Everywhere else, it sounds like soup. Because you know? he's making it, he, it, it could be a she, but usually the mixer's going to be a dude still, is making it sound- Man or woman alike. The mixer, the mixer is making it sound yeah. good where the mixer is. Exactly. And what they do is they take an iPad and they go around the room and they're trying to like find, you know, again, trying to get rid of offensive frequencies and trying to make the whole room sound great. But sometimes, usually, where they're stationed, it's going to sound the best. And usually that's like right at the center of the room. But in this case, it wasn't. Yeah, I was just upstairs. It was less crowded and I was there was a bar eight feet away from me. So yeah. it, that, it's, this is probably my fault. Oh, yeah, yeah. You and probably... it's just so funny that they, for all I know, they go backstage and they're like, you motherfucker, you missed, you know, when we were going into the bridge on the new one. Right, right, and right. having no idea that the crowd had no idea. That's what I realized. That's another thing about playing live is that if you miss a note or something, most likely people aren't going to hear it. I mean, I'm in, you know, when I toured with Death Clock, you know, this is like a, it was kind of a big sink or swim thing because I had been playing music for a long time, but I'd never like done huge you know, we opened up for Iron Maiden for 20,000 people. We got to, like, substitute for Megadeth yeah. for 30,000 people. What was your gigging history like before that? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. I mean, I, I had that's, spent that's, a lot that's, of time... That's, that's a rough yeah, well, trajectory. I, well, I mean... <laughs> but you know what? Playing... I mean, once you're warmed up, everything's okay. And it, and you, it's like... I, I consider my my band, which is a really good band, to be... Like, at our best, we're terrible dinner theater. We're going to show up and do it the exact same time every night, and I think that's what the audience wants. They want to hear these songs played in this order, and it's almost like David Spade's old jokes. Remember when he used to talk about going and seeing um, a band? He goes, look, I want to see a band, play the songs the way they sound on the record, no tricks. Yeah. And that's kind of how you don't want to have, like, a full crazy jam out. You want the song, and you want it how you know it, how you remember it. And you want those parts yeah. that you – the mm-hmm. exciting parts that have been telegraphed in the record to to happen the same way. You do. So that's how that, – that was my philosophy. I want to give it to you the same way every single night. We've got this huge, gigantic LCD screen behind us that's the star of the show. It's not us. We're just a bunch of stupid, fat guys. Playing in the, the shadows. Right. Exactly. And, um, and so – so that was the idea, but I had to uh, I had to learn basically to to be a vocalist and a guitar player at the same time and switch pedals, drop my guitar a few times, hit the clean channel on a solo instead of a you know the boost channel, yep. just just basically a, a train wreck. But you you correct those mistakes very quickly because you're performing. People paid money, they got there somehow. So. Um, and then I was in in ears the whole time, so I'm listening to my basically the kick drums, my vocal, and your monitors in ears. Yeah, my in ear monitors, yeah. right? Exactly. And um, and my job is to make sure I, I don't mess up. I they came, I practiced hard, play the thing right, 
if for some reason there is a disaster, which there will be, yeah, try to try to blow through it and get to the other side of it. Uh, my buddy told me a great story uh, at the actually at the Darkness show. His friend had just become the drummer for Neil Diamond, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, Neil Diamond's been touring for seventy years. He retired from touring like three months after this guy's <laughs> right. friend became the drummer. Right. But still, it was a big deal when he gets to be Neil Diamond's drummer. Sure. And as it would be with these legacy acts toward the end, the preceding guy had been with Neil from the glory days. But, I mean, he, he had like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's and had to bow out. So they get, right. they get the young blood in there. And they're saying the band is like, all due respect to the other guy, we're feeling very rejuvenated to have some young blood behind sure, the drums. So yeah. it's a really good fit. Everything's going great. And then in like the third show... He misses a cue. And I don't know if you've ever been around Neil Diamond. He's a very exacting sort of man. And you, you... I have not spent any time with Neil Diamond. <laughs> so I don't know this. I, so I, I on. spent an afternoon with him. And it's a, it's a, it was a weird... I, I brought one record and I was like... Well, there's a reason he's Neil Diamond. He's a perfectionist. He's a perfectionist. As it turns out, is. a lot of people are. But yeah, go right. on. So he, you brought him what? I brought him a record and I said to his engineers who have been with him, the new guy, the new engineer with mm-hmm. Neil Diamond had been there since, I think, 78. Sure. And I said, hey, is it okay if I ask Neil to, to sign this when we're done mm-hmm. and they go uh you talk to him and then you decide if you want to ask or not oh that's funny yeah and he and- was actually lovely to me funny and so kept soliciting me for advice on how to talk about his own songs which was crazy oh, that's cool but it was really cool and empowering that neil diamond seemed to actually give a shit about my opinion for whatever reason in that moment anyway my buddy's buddy is the drummer and gets through two shows flawlessly in the third show he uh he misses a cue and he feels bad the entire night and the mm. next day at rehearsal he goes Neil can I have a word and you can like hear a pin drop because nobody ever asked for a word with Neil Diamond and he goes Neil I just want you to know I missed a cue last night I feel horrible about it it's never gonna happen again and Neil Diamond goes hey you're gonna miss another cue and I'm gonna miss another cue it's rock and roll baby <laughs> right <laughs> I, yeah, that's, it's true you, you hopefully I mean look there's so much crazy stuff going on a live show if you're really like if you're yeah. really putting a magnifying glass on each player I mean oftentimes it's it's guys who set up this kind of virtuoso kind of career where they have to play really fast and they have to do all this crazy unfortunately i started kind of doing that stuff through through metal lockleft i decided yeah. to make the guitar players very articulate and fast yeah on their instruments which is a mistake because it made my job very difficult and yeah. i had to like and i had to show up and deliver that it's really it's much easier to play sloppy blues licks than than sweep arpeggios with finger tappy things and all kinds of like articulate picking and all kinds of stuff as a guy who never learned managed to learn to do any of that stuff yeah. it is better to be me because i just do like mick mars i got okay here's sure. the here's the gimmick i'll do for these two bars and then here's the gimmick i'll do for the following two bars and then we'll do a couple pentatonic licks and we're out of here yeah, yeah i'm yeah. hitting like three four strings at a time and i'm just <laughs> muting the rest of them that's cool well, that's <laughs> that's that's part of rock and roll too i remember going backstage and and you know seeing some bands like exodus or arch enemy and I was like, that was a great show. And they're like, are you kidding me? They were right. like, they were up in arms about something. They're like, my guitar was out of tune for half of that song. I was playing in the wrong key. I looked down. It was a disaster. I'm like, I couldn't. Look, I have a discerning ear. I can't hear. I couldn't yeah. hear the difference. If I couldn't tell. I thought it was cool, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bon Jovi started a concert video at that one time of everybody outside going, that was the greatest show I have ever seen in my entire life. And backstage, John's like, you're all fucking fired. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have a lot of ground I want to cover with you. Sure. I guess we'll just start from the top. I met you and Tommy at Comic Con before Metalocalypse even debuted. Oh, okay. And at the time, I'll fully confess they were like, "Will you talk to these guys?" And I was like, "Anything I have to do to meet Meatwad, I will do." 
Right. So I talked to you guys. Oh, that's funny. So I did yeah. the interview being like, you know, you, you did yeah, yeah. I get to meet a meatball afterwards, so it's <laughs> worth it. It's totally worth yeah. it. And I hate when this happens, and this happens uh, somewhat frequently where you, you do the interview and then a little bit later you really have some time to spend with the project and you're like, sure, sure. fuck, I love this. Oh. How could I... It is such a shame I didn't know that I loved this when I actually had the opportunity to talk to the creators. I love about that mistake it. that happened. That that sounds great from my point of view. It worked out. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like a week later, um, I get the press release. I mean, this is. I believe it was MySpace. I'm listening to the Duncan Hills Coffee sure, Show on yeah, MySpace, yeah. telling everybody who comes in, "You've got to hear this. this. Is the funniest shit ever." Right. So here are my uh, token Metalocalypse questions. First of all, what happened with? Tommy, because I'm the kind of person who reads credits, and all of a right, sudden yeah, his yeah. name wasn't involved the same way it had been. And when I met well, you guys, it was very obvious you'd been friends. We, yeah, we had come together. We had very similar things, and we were kind of working on a couple comedy things. All I can say about this, just to wrap this up, people would ask me, what's going on with Tommy while I was working the show? Mm -hmm. And my answer would be, I'm not sure, but if you see him, tell him I'm looking for him. Gotcha. So that's the answer I can give you. <laughs> Other than that, super funny, creative guy, but... Mm -hmm. And That's, obviously you still had to be in the mix for voices and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And then I do see his name because I do read credits popping up in other stuff. So sure. he didn't go completely off the the face of the no, earth. No, he's, I mean, I would I would hope not. I, I mean, um, again, super, like if you've hung out with him, one of the funniest guys you'll hang out with ever. Gotcha. Okay. Say no more. And then <laughs> just really what, what all happened. I, I'm sure you've covered this a million times. I truthfully do not know the answer. Like- did you did you sign bad deals with William Street? No, no. Here's 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 the look. Everyone's gonna no matter even after this explanation, there's not a good answer to what happened. With okay, Metal maybe Office. that's why I don't know exactly, and and no one really does, and I don't either. Really, I know that he, at some point they said we're gonna do a finale, and I was basically here's what I thought. I think TV shows have to end at some point. Mm -hmm. So I and you clearly seem to be building to a thing. I was building towards an end. Did you and, always have an end in mind? Yes. Okay. From the very beginning, I knew that the ending was going to have to come. And and this show, by the way, this show is not an easy show to do. So when you're running a TV show and you're writing the majority of the episodes, doing the majority of the voices, and in between, when you're off, when you're off, you're not off, you're, you, you're making a record and you're touring, and then the new show starts happening and you're running the show while you're on tour and all this stuff. So it's a pretty exhausting process. And, so, it, and it's successful, it's like running, which, it, which brings more shit with it. And, it. and it's successful on top of that. So... So I didn't look. I can't really complain. I worked a lot. I didn't really rest a lot. And um, it's like running two or three shows at once. And um, and you know our budgets aren't huge, so a lot of the responsibility falls on like two or three guys. Right. And you really get to see who's working hard and who isn't when the shit really starts hitting the fan. So some people were there for the long stretch. Some people weren't. And uh, and I thought, okay, this is a lot of work, and I think I've done what I need to do with this show. I'm going to do one final thing. And it was really just one little final thing. And they said, yes, 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 no, yes, yes, no, yes, no. It was really inconsistent depending on what day it was, what time it was. And the fans got really irate, and they started this huge campaign. And I think that upset the network, and they said, well, fuck you. We'll take, we'll take the whole thing away. So they took their ball, and they went home. And that was their idea. And for me, I'm... I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the show to end. I'm ready to, um, <laughs> I'm ready to move on to something else. I'm ready to do a whole bunch of different stuff. But if it doesn't end, it doesn't end, and that's what TV. That's and you go into TV knowing that that's the nature of TV. That at some point, it's a big temp job, and the lady, the pregnant lady, comes back to the office at some point, and you're just out. So that's how it is. That's the nature of all TV. 
I see how that is the nature of TV. I guess as someone who has no inside information, that doesn't seem like the nature of Adult Swim. It seems like when they've got something that's a success, they're content to milk it endlessly. Is that true? Is that not your experience? I'm just looking at them from afar right now, and I'm. I think that's. I think it's pretty consistent. Okay. And in my in my like look in my overview understanding from the, the network to the show creators, this is not. This is not off the mark. Mm-hmm. This is kind of consistent with them. It just doesn't make any sense. It was. I agree. It, it was. Uh, it, it, it was more than a success. It was. Here's the other thing. It's a phenomenon. It's a success, and our ratings increased every single season. Right. Yeah. And then you guys went to episodes that were long enough that they could put commercials in the middle of it. Yeah, there was that. And then we also, like the next chunk of stories, I want to go back to the quarter hour thing. And they were like, okay, let's do that. And those were, again, the trajectory of 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 our audience kept growing. Of course, because so, people, it would be word of mouth. It was what yeah. I was doing going, you guys need to fucking listen to this. This is insane. What is yeah. this? Yeah. <sighs> I know you're you're actually look my my relationship with this show is so much different. It's nice to hear you sigh and be upset a little bit because you're representing a whole bunch of fans that are confused yeah. right now. Right. My my relationship with the show is so very different than mm-hmm. the fans' relationship because the is. fans were completely left in the lurch and they got fucked over completely right. because they really look. There are people that are with metalocalypse tattoos all over their backs and arms and legs and chests and everything. And and that started happening very early on where we were like, we have a very big responsibility to make this show good, funny, worthwhile, worth remembering, worth having in your head, you know, which is what I think TV should be. And that's why we work really hard to kind of make it like that. So I get it from your point of view. It sucks. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything about it. You know, it's that's the thing is that it's not it's not my we made a partnership with a network where they own it. So they. That's, yes, that's where it is. You know. So is this just a classic stalemate where they? Yeah, they, I mean, they I, I'm not and won't do anything with it unless, like, unless unless there's a major drastic changeover at the network, which I don't see that happening. But I'm, I'm look again. I mm-hmm. did it already. Yes. I kind of like my point of view is that I, I did it. I'm. It's 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 a lot of headspace to have like five characters in your head and have to like speak for them and and think of their every line and their whole trajectory of of the whole arc of the show. I like doing it. It's really fun. I love the puzzle. I love the brain work of it. And I love that when I'm a writer, I'm just a writer. I love when I'm a voice actor, I'm just a voice actor. And then I get to switch all that stuff off and become a guitar player for a long time and be an arranger and be a musician for a long time. So for me, it was like the ultimate job. But with that comes tons and tons of work. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, I wouldn't have traded it for anything, but the end of it got left off of it. Yeah, so, that's, that's the only reservation. I, you I, know I, what? I also yeah. think the re- one of the reasons I have a lot more peace about this than I think any of the audience does is that I kind of got to say goodbye to Metalocalypse in my most recent project. That's what Galacticon 2 to me was. Okay. So so if you listen, and there are a lot of fan theories and a lot of craziness going on about it, but people have interpreted this record as, as the end of the whole thing. And I knew that I, every once in a while, I feel like I got to go to my guitar and I got to write some music and I got to go open up Pro Tools and start some sessions. And I felt that feeling after Metalocalypse was finished. And I thought, I've got to do something here. And I think this is, to me, a kind of a gift to the people who are with me, the whole. So this isn't, it's it's nice for me because every record is therapy one way or another, even if it's death metal, if it's about coffee or awakening some kind of beast from, you know, Finland. 
it's all some kind of weird therapy. And so Galacticon 2 was very therapeutic for me. And I come out the other end feeling very satisfied and very happy. And I feel like there's like a closure to this project. Right. Look, I get all that. I, honestly, I, I apologize for bringing it up. I'm sure you've been you get asked about it constantly. I sincerely did not know. The, the, I did not know the answers to these. No, questions. no, no. There or, is the, the the answer is that there's no good answer. Yeah, and and I I dig. I'd rather there be too little than too much. I, I one of my favorite albums is my favorite band put out uh, an EP that had four songs on it, and it was mm-hmm. eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite album ever. Yeah. Sure, they could have done a Space Jam on the end of it and blown yeah. it out to 45 minutes, but it was it, brevity is the soul of wit, yeah. which is a beautiful phrase because in and of itself, it's it's very brief and, and very <laughs> yeah. witty. Yeah. Um, so I'm cool with that. So, so the, the difference between- I just wanted it to fucking end. I know. I know. You're not alone. <laughs> the big difference, again- I, I watched, I, wa- I think, I forget what season it was. I don't smoke weed anymore. I have yeah. in years, but I had a weed-like experience because you usually watch them in these little bursts, but yeah. me and my wife, I got my wife, my wife- it's fucking insane. She, I think yeah. she made out with a Dr. Roxo guy at one of your concerts. Oh, dear. I'm she sorry. She got super into it. Okay. And uh, and she's not like a metal person at all. We sat down and watched one of the seasons on DVD, and it was like that marijuana experience of mm-hmm. where you get way too wrapped up in it. You know, where the, the episode ends and you realize that you forgot to breathe for a minute. <laughs> so Good. So... <laughs> We were bummed that we didn't get to where we were going. I know. Especially when it's obvious that many shows, now I didn't watch Lost, but from what I know, they started building a mystery. Yeah. We clearly never had any idea where it was yeah, going to yeah, pay yeah, off. Yeah. If you're telling me you actually know where the thing pays off, yeah. like, I'm I'm literally pounding a table here. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. I'd say see if you can find the same <laughs> solace that the people who have found it in this, this in Galacticon 2 have found because, yeah. you know, people are saying it's there. Okay. So you're telling me people can understand the lyrics. Not necessarily. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Not when I'm doing them. No. That's, you know what's funny is it's that- It's a concept I, album with- I know. Well, it's it's definitely got a concept. And um, and yeah, there's it's very difficult. But, you know, it's it's I'm really happy to hear, I, I swear to God, I hate this also, that you're dissatisfied, but you're also, you the experience that you just explained is, I think, the ultimate viewing experience, which is that hopefully it's immersive. Hopefully it affects your subconscious. Yeah. Hopefully, um, hopefully you get on, you know, even though it's meant to be a comedy, it's it's an action adventure too, and it's a family it's a family comedy on top of that. So in a, in a I sense, get to do a lot I wouldn't of, let my child watch it, but yeah. When I say family, meaning it's about a family. Okay, yes. So it's about this this family that happens to be, in this case, a death metal band. Right. Um, or extreme metal, or whatever you want to call it. We just call it extreme metal because that encapsulates everything. Fair enough. But, um, but yeah, it's... Um, and these shows, like this isn't like... Uh, we're not uh, Coca-Cola. We're like a boutique brew house and how many of these things can we make we're like sitting here in Oregon making our own stuff and there's a demand and we can only make as much of it and then at some point our whole team will be fatigued but the other thing that was happening and I think the other thing that that makes people emotional about this is that I was doing a long-term trajectory of the most selfish people in the world to selflessness so as the show goes on these characters have to realize that they are in this family. They have to realize. So, so there are certain demarcation points as the show goes on where people got very, very excited and very wrapped up in the story and the characters and their emotions. Even though we were doing a lot of different things and this crazy, absurdist death metal cartoon, people really started. And that was that's part of, unfortunately, what the biggest compliment I can get is they got too wrapped up into something that I really wanted them to get wrapped up into. Yeah. And hopefully, again, the ultimate... The ultimate thing for me is to have a show that happens that 
that hopefully triggers your subconscious and hopefully when the show's over it's just starting in your head Right. Well, we'll always have the Marianas Trench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk to you, obviously, about Galacticon in the short film. I want to talk to you briefly about just music, straight up music. The the Death Clock stuff, for example, how much of that was shit that you kind of already had in pieces? Like when I listened to Go Into the Water, I'm like, he already had this piece of music and was like, oh, no. this is for the show. No, no, no. That was that was completely built for the show. So okay. I, I had, so it's really crazy. So you there's you're talking about the Marianas Trench, so that even that record by itself, or that idea with those songs with Mermaider <laughs> or Going to the Water, what I was doing was I was using my guitar because I you know I went to music school a long time ago. You're Berkeley guy, I right? was, yeah, Berkeley College of Music, and I was taking film cl- composing classes, and I was taking arranging classes, and I was taking lots of composition classes, and I was just learning a bunch of tricks and basically isolating what I liked about music and learning how to rip it off. And so so if I were presented with a TV show or an idea or something I needed to kind of attach a mood to, I could do it with my guitar. So the guitar by proxy is an extension of storytelling. And so um, so I had these things and I just had like a feeling that I wanted to feel and I wanted the... I wanted the episode to feel bigger than it was. I wanted to play little pieces and chunks of songs that weren't even fully formed at that point yep. and make you believe that there was a longer song there. Right. And I wanted it to seem like the songs existed longer than they did. So what does that mean? It means I think about music that affected me that way and I try to feel like that. I try to I, I experiment until I, I get close to that feeling. Uh, it's obvious that there is a certain vibe that you um, you key into – uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, yeah. but the 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 technique that you used for filming uh, your short film, you call it Corman eighty two, mm-hmm. and it's so funny because I you're forty three, right? Yeah, I'm forty, and yeah. I have a feeling that if I had attempted a similar project, yeah, the year would have been eighty five, right? Right. So right. there must be something. There's about, something. Well, there's an age you go through where things crystallize in your mind as everything is not perfect, but right. there's a this feels really right. I think that's with music, with yeah. with 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 how you know we'll set up shots in animation or live action now. So, yeah. so I think ultimately, every the more I read about my favorite filmmakers, writers, musicians, all of them go through the same period, and they usually stay in this period in one way or another, where they're trying to kind of crawl back into the womb, right? Um, creatively, yeah. The things that affected them most when they were of an age where they remember it. So, like when I'm five years old to 10 years old that five years is really really crucial for me as in guitar where i'm like you know 14 to 17 years old that's a very crucial musical time too but i'm also remembering the music i was listening when i you know what was on the radio when i was a kid so all that stuff really does affect i I mean you you see like i don't know like heroes of mine i i I recognize that happening with those guys too from like elo who you know grew up on the beatles all he wants to do is sound like paul mccartney all the time but i love that he does you know yeah i love that you know there's this kind of you know what is it midnight in paris he just wishes woody allen wishes he were of a grown adult of, of of this time that he wasn't around to really appreciate so for me it's the 70s and early 80s, you know? Right. And even when it's less than fully obvious, I remember reading an interview with Paul Simon where he's like, I'm just doing the hit songs that were out when I was a little kid. Exactly. I, I know none of you can hear, none of you will listen to this, you know, the Hopefully sounds, through the the, sounds yeah. of silence and, and be aware of the fact that yeah. I ripped off a doo-off record, but I know in oh. my heart of hearts that that is the, what to say, like the er 
material, the exactly. er, the er myth. Yeah, it's like you know that the way I look at it is that all you can have is good taste, hopefully, and then put it through the coffee filter of your brain, and hopefully, it comes out something else. Okay, well, good point because are we sure we have good? taste because I've we're not some, sure i've sometimes wondered that's the bit i cannot tell you how many interviews i've read where the guy goes oh i had a cool older brother or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i got and and that was listening to some shit and they turned me on to good stuff yeah i never met that guy i had silver leather pants i was <laughs> listening to shit and for better or by the way the worse, silver is the part that i reacted to not the leather it was, I yeah yeah no and I understand that and right. I think I think I agree with you Brendan yeah <laughs> I'm just saying just to clarify and you know what that was kind of it's funny that you say a cool person down the street I was lucky enough to have met that guy okay and a lot of us and my sister wasn't my sister I have an older sister who's a couple years older than me and she wasn't that person either because she was listening to the radio and Madonna and stuff like that no offense against Madonna but didn't really have guitars and it didn't have stuff that that awoke my mind you know yeah or musicianship right. I think uh, there's a lot of people that would probably kill you for saying that. But, I love uh, Madonna. And one of them is Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I have a ton of respect for her, and I have a ton of respect for musicians that stay in the game forever, too. It's what a crazy world. It, anyway, I, that was part of what I wanted Metalocalypse to be. I wanted Metalocalypse to be this kind of thing that kicks your door open and says, hey, you know, if, you, if you're interested in this show, there's check out the people who are performing, who are the guest voices and all that stuff. These people, I have King Diamond, I have modern guys, I have like Dumaborger, I have uh, Enslaved, I have all these really cool bands I think are cool. Make up your mind about them. And, and the cool thing that happened with that is that it, it, it got into young kids' heads and they got into guitar because we tried to, you know, the whole idea was treat guitar with a lot of respect in the show, mm-hmm. even though this is a ridiculous comedy show, I want this show to be the show that I didn't have when I was fourteen, discovering guitar. Right. So you're animating the fingers accurately. I'm animating that stuff. I'm using real guitars. I'm um, using real amps and real gear. Mm-hmm. There's a whole splash page that I know kids are going to pause on and go, "What is that stuff?" I'm always curious to ask people who have had encounters in the wild with King Diamond what that's like. He is uh, a perfect gentleman. <laughs> that's that's all I can say is that. I had a phone call with him when I got I got his information through Metallica's um, management through, and then Lars was the one that passed the information to me. He he was like, "Oh, this guy checks out." Kirk and James did an episode with him, so he's okay. Give him damn, that's cool. And then he also is a huge fan of and friend of King Diamond, so he wants to see King Diamond get some cool voiceover work and I thought yeah. that was one of the first things I thought when Metalocalypse started was if if anybody is going to be perfect for this show it's going to be King Diamond who does like a million different voices anyway yeah and he's a storyteller too so oh, yeah it was this is when I realized that I was on the phone with him and I said what are you doing how are you doing we just had like a really fun phone call and I was going to tell him you know in fact I'm not going to direct you I want you to direct yourself mm-hmm. go into a studio these are the lines I'll talk to you you know we can talk about the script right down but give me a few different var- variations but I want you to be happy with it, and if you're happy with it, then I'll be happy with it. But check out a couple episodes of the show to find out what the tone is. But direct yourself. And he and every time I ask people to do that, because they weren't always touring and they weren't always in our, you know, in, in Los Angeles, so we'd kind of empower them to direct themselves. Every time we got audio back from people who directed themselves, it would be fantastic. As opposed to an actor who's going, I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what you want from me. If you're an actor with confidence making decisions, then you're probably going to come up with something you're very proud of and you will put your own stamp of approval on something 
which is, as it turns out, that's what acting is, directing yourself. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's something else. Um, so I'm on the phone with him, and he's describing to me at the time, this is 10 years ago, <laughs> one of his album covers, and it's just like he's he's like a ghost storyteller. He's just describing a girl comes down a stairwell, and she's nightgown covered in blood. Mm. Behind her, a smear of blood from where her hand is wiped against the banister. A crucifix has been turned upside down. <laughs> Something like that. And I'm like, I could just imagine with a flashlight underneath his face <laughs> with a phone in the other hand. Well, they say if you do what you love, you're never really working. <laughs> Absolutely. No, he was selling me on something and I was just, I just realized he's, we're all salesmen. We're all salesmen. We're all carnival barkers. We're all trying to get you to come into our tent and see yeah, whatever it is, the anomaly inside. Well, let's sell this short film of yours. Uh, it's, it's, you spent a year? I spent, well, I didn't, so I guess so. I mean, so here's, here's what happened. I was thinking about Roger Corman. I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast mm-hmm. and, um, and Corman was on there, and I was just thinking about, I was just getting a, a a pull into the world of the tactile. I've been in animation for what twenty years now, so I know what it's like. It's it's like watching a plant grow. It just takes forever. It doesn't look good until the very last day. And live action, I'm always excited by, and that's what got me into show business too. Is I love movies. That's what it is. And um, so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to to kind of do something in relation to this this world. I really am getting excited by this art, all this fantasy art that I'm compiling. I have a bunch of cool artists that I'm working with, um, from Antonio Canobio, who did all the Metalocalypse stuff, to this guy Stuzor, Stuart Lippincott, who built some posters for me. You can see him on, um, on Instagram. He's just one of many really cool modern artists. And... Um, and I was just compiling all this cool stuff. I'm working with Eric Powell. I'm making a comic book. And so I've got this guy, Steve Mannion, who's generating all this art. And it's all a really fun world. And I'm just getting excited by this. And I thought, I've got a, I've got this amazing resource. Like, again, a lot of guys are going to make TV shows, but not all of them can play guitar. I'm going to use that to my advantage. Of so course. I thought, another thing I can use to my advantage is I've got this really talented person in my family, my brother, who is an amazing makeup artist. And he's been in the business for like 20 years as well, working on all kinds of movies from... Where the Wild Things Are, to Hellboy, to all kinds of different things, to the Cremaster cycle with Matthew Barney. And oh my God. Yeah. I a, actually know what that is. Yeah, I know. So, That's like if Will Ferrell made performance art only, he wasn't joking. Exactly. And it's <laughs> it's something to behold. <laughs> they used to have ads for that on the subway in New York, and I would yeah, just yeah, yeah. stare at them endlessly. What is that? And, it, no, it, and it's also <laughs> just insane, interesting, yeah. crazy, tactile, you know, Really cool makeup effects and just oh the visual stuff is yeah. is, is but also it's all about testicles yeah which is he's Bjork's husband say no more uh or was or I was guess. yeah yeah anyway so so I've got this this great resource and I was talking to my brother I said let's take this character and let's just build him out and let's build a helmet and he's like I got nothing to do right now let's have some fun with this and plus I could use the exercise it's something new for me he's used to doing all this other stuff. And so I just kept saying, like, what if we built this? What if we built that? And we just and I started, you know, I had my buddy Steve Agee, who's a comedian, who's a great photographer, photograph the helmet for the back of the album cover. And I thought, let's do something with this. Let's build out some more of this world. What if we were to do something like this? And my brother said, well, if you were to do that, you'd have to do this. And I thought, based on what Roger Corman was saying, I could probably do this on a budget if I planned it out properly. If I slowly started working at it, like this time last year, I could probably shoot and have all this stuff built by the end of the summer if I have one guy, my brother, working on all of it. Right. Roger Corman, the legendary maker of schlock films on zero budget. Exactly. So, yeah. So he, and also the guy who would, um, 
who who empowered so many directors from what um Jack Nicholson well yeah D- Jack directed a movie Jack I think. Nicholson um uh Joe Dante um who else um oh um, Silence of the Lambs uh oh uh, uh Jonathan Demi right I knew it was one of among the so many others Peter Bogdanovich I think I, you may be right about that but yeah. I mean that all sounds right so so again so people would go and have to learn how to do things live action on a budget and get everything in camera. So I thought, I want to get everything in camera. I just want to, you know, everything's about post-production and animation. I want to do everything in a set with tons of people around working with me. And I just wanted to, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do everything I would do in animation. I'm going to pre-kind of visualize everything. I'm going to storyboard everything. I'm going to find a location. My brother said there's this location here in Hollywood. It's a standing spaceship set. You can rent it. So I looked at what, the what it had like a few hallways, a cockpit, a thing, and I thought, okay, I'm going to write this into my treatment as well, and then raise some money with some great sponsors, including Stern Pinball, which is a pinball company that I did voices for. I'm the voice of the Metallica pinball game and the Aerosmith pinball game, um, and um, Megaforce Records, of course, and I know I have other different. Oh, Hercules guitar stands. <laughs> I was just like, I was like turning into Ed Wood. Everyone, please yeah. get baptized with me. We've got to make some money to build this thing. Right. So that's so it was basically like I wasn't working on it every single day, but it was like a slow thing that took months to prepare to get everything, you know, crazy outfits, robots, spaceships, and these insane ink tanks, which again is like totally early 80s Flash Gordon background. So the ink tanks I'm talking about are these aquariums, these huge aquariums that you'd fill with different viscosities of liquid mm-hmm. that you could just film and they can be a science fiction background or some kind of cloud Clouds, formation right. or something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you'll see that throughout my video too. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, oh, excuse me, I've been thinking as somebody who records music, I've gone through the Pro Tools thing and I've done the fake drums and stuff. And mm-hmm. now that a couple of years have passed since I recorded some stuff like that, I'm starting to feel like it's a little bit like CGI where it all sounds good at the time and then a couple of years later you're like, who the fuck? fell for that right well and i feel like i've come out the other side where the next thing that i'm recording music i'm recording on like no budget i gotta lay it down on a drum machine to get it down what i'm hearing mm-hmm. and then a real drummer's gotta play it maybe it maybe, maybe there's a budget that you can get to where it just flies i'm sure i listen to rock records that have fake drums and don't yeah. realize it but unless you're dealing with unlimited funds i still think the answer is Tactile. Well, yeah, tactile is always nicer to do. But, you know, if I go back and listen to, like, I don't know, John Carpenter scores, where I know that a lot of that stuff is digital or some kind of analog or some kind of, like, sequencer, or I listen to Tangerine Dream, which is also part of this short film, is I kind of put a little bit of John Carpenter Tangerine Dream in this two-minute intro before the song even starts. Yeah. Where I was going, this is part of that era. This needs to be in here, too. This is a mood. and But I think the truth is that, yes, CGI is really cementing something to a certain era. So if you go and look at the the redone Star Wars movies that were kind of re-visualized yeah. in the late 90s or whatever, those look older now than the 70s. Than the original ones, and that's exactly. what it is. If something is supposed to be digital, like a John Carpenter score, well, then by all yeah, means. Yeah. But when you're when it's a, a, a drum kit supposed to sound like a drum kit. Right, right, right. And that's probably not going to Yeah, fly. but if you have like a D880, if it's always supposed to sound the same way, then you're like, okay, that's just an electric drum kit, and that's what that's supposed and to that's, sound like. And that's yeah. great, yeah, but... but Man, I my wife and I watch a lot of like old eighty shit, and there's just something really good about when something blows up in a Sylvester Stallone movie. Yeah, something really blew up. 
Stuff would really, yeah, and that's that's what I realized. Even shooting some other some other people's music videos, that if I were to do some live action stuff, I did a video for Scott Ian at one point, I and it just made me realize if I have light sources, if I'm going to composite something in post, I need to make sure the light source is in the camera. I need to make sure there's smoke in the camera from an explosion, a light source from like a laser beam shooting out of a guitar or whatever it is. Yeah. I need to make sure all that stuff is kind of happening there something for the actors to react to because you know what it looks like when it happens completely in post. It looks like the crappiest thing in the world. Right. Brendan Fraser weirdly uh, mastered the art of reacting to nothing. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, coupled yeah. with his willingness to be in absolutely anything yeah. kept him going for quite a while. He a very good run, yeah. He did have a, a, a good run and is, um, by all accounts, on the comeback trail. I have about 10 minutes left with you. Before I let you go, I wanted to play some music and see if you could identify it. You are, for better or for worse, sort of the uh, pop culture face of death metal and, Am sh- I? and shredding. I want to. Well, if you are not, I'm sure you'll Brendan stump. Small, I'm, I'm sure you will stump me because <laughs> I do not claim to be an expert at anything musical. I just know what I react to. So I'm not a. I'm not the guy that you're gonna, that's going to tell you something's good or bad. I'm going to tell you what I like or what I don't like, and that's going to be it. So go ahead. I just want to talk about people shredding. I'm so. Okay. Do you think it's? A, do you think it's? Can anybody do it, or do I just have dumb fingers? Um, I think. I really think anybody can do it. If I can do it, I think anybody can do it because I don't think I'm... Here's my whole thing with guitar. You you have to get your stupid hands. Like, get a decent guitar, get a decent amp, and then everything else is your stupid fat fingers' fault. And that's, <laughs> yes. that's what it is. It's your fault. Like, if I get, like, a Marshall 45-watt, you know, combo amp and an Epiphone... I'm going to have basically the same rig as pretty much any, everyone from Ingve to Joe Satriani to a degree. Like, they may have little fine-tuned things, but now... It would get, sound good if they played it. Put it that way. Exactly. So that's what it is. So so they don't have anything that's magical that makes them play better. They just put the hours in. And the hours of guitar, to me, it's like the Matrix, like bullet time. It's pulling everything apart, slowing down your metronome till it's just pain, till it's not fun and painful. It's, it's administrative work. There's nothing creative about this. So it's just going, my pick is going down on this note. It's going up on this note. It's going down on this note. And I'm going to switch to the next string. I have to just know that I'm working in millimeters here. And I've got to make sure my hand goes over to 11.2 millimeters and hits that other note. And then I've got to just make sure my hands remember that. Until, and then I have to go, okay, now that I've learned that, how do I relax? How do I play so light that someone can walk up and take the pick away from me? Even if I'm playing like crushing fast metal, how yeah. can I just make sure my pick is so light? This little dancing thing on my right hand, this little drummer kind of like dancing around, and then my left hand is just fluttering around like cutting butter with a hot knife. How yeah. do I get to that point? Yeah, my answer was always to play harder, so I can see where... Uh, so now you're getting it, but still. Yeah, I think it's too late. You can get a hard sound up. out of light picking, too. Anyway, yeah. so play and something. And same thing with drumming. There's no way you're going to know this, I won't know what this, is. this piece of work. Good. Oh, wait. Uh, oh, wait, it's playing. It barely even qualifies as shredding. You ever heard this? This sounds to me like early 90s or like yeah. late 80s, yeah. This was this woman called, uh, well, she's, she still exists, called The Great Cat. Oh, I, okay. Oh, so, so this is probably later. I know who she is. I know exactly who she is because she plays violin. Yeah, and she I remember, does. And I remember, this is like the early days of Netflix, uh-huh. and they had all kinds of like 
different things like the behind the scenes documentary of Van Halen. Yeah. And you'd watch this thing and it would be no Van Halen music. Because they couldn't and, clear it. Because they right. couldn't clear anything. <laughs> and then you'd talk to a guy who was friends with a guy who was friends with a guy who knew Michael Anthony. <laughs> yeah. And that would be the documentary. And you go like, I can't believe I'm paying a monthly fee for this. And you get like the hard DVDs and stuff. And I got the great cat. Because I was like, oh, it's somebody shredding. And it was all pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to hear her actually play the violin. Because she was a violin player who would yeah, play and then she kind of neoclassically yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. Kind of like Ingve, right? close stuff. But um, yes, so that great cat. I know exactly who that is. And uh, the reason why I included her is because... And that's early in, 2000s, I think. Yeah, I think so. The, yeah. the Beethoven mosh, Beethoven on speed era is she, I think, claimed to be in the Guinness Book of World Record for being the fastest guitar player because it was all, oh, it was all, that's right. it was right hand. Right, right. The tremolo She also played violin though, right? She did both, yeah. So I, I remember being disappointed by the video just because I was like, let's hear, let's hear this guitar. Come on, yeah, baby. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah and now, but now she I gotta has a cooking say, show. Um, there are so many amazing lady guitar players outright. I have Instagram and I just follow so many insane just master guitar players that are there's such a huge movement of female guitar players, which is so great because you don't see it that often. You don't see no. it's like an, an anomaly. But hopefully it won't be. Yeah, there didn't used to be and there's no reason why there there can't be. Yeah. There were, there were always enough to let you know that this can certainly be done. But there's you know? yeah, I, I hopefully they just keep coming. So how about are you familiar with this piece of work here? Yes, this would be uh, the Attitude Song by Steve Vai. Beautiful. Yeah, I want to play something a little bit less obvious. I love Steve Vai. He's so a good. huge. Every I, every time I like think I'm being creative in guitar, I'm like, here's a cool lick that I. Oh wow! Then I realized Steve Vai did it 30 years ago. I really dig and this, this is album. So yeah, creative. It's fresh off the heels of Frank Zappa. You Obviously. can hear it all in there. On this, it's all seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the easily the most straightforward thing that yeah. and uh, the other big instrumental on that album because then the, then he had like uh, aliens singing with yeah, yeah, yeah. vocals uh, and stuff yeah, like that. it's yeah. a very charming it's a homemade album and you can really without really a tell. doubt but it's it's there's no note out of place he's so um decisive yeah and he know? was another guy that i that i met um i know he was at one of the death clock shows uh, yeah. that i went to so obviously he's a fan of what you do who also said if I just worried about the one guy in the crowd who's going to call me out on Twitter for missing a note, I couldn't even enjoy my own career. So fuck right, it. And right. when Steve Vai is saying it's okay yeah. to miss notes, it's okay to miss notes. Well, he's he is a great guitar player, and he is a guy who I've gotten to befriend over the years, which is really cool. Because that's I got to say, for Metalocalypse, I've gotten to be, become friends with two of my favorite guitar players of all time, Satriani and and Vi, and um, and they're all, they've also been very nice and supportive to me over the years, which has been cool. That is. That's incredible. It is incredible. I do not. This have... is why when you know people are like, "Where's the show now?" I'm like, "I got to become friends with Steve Vai and Joe Satriani." Yeah, I got what I needed. I'm not gonna <laughs> like you're not gonna see me moping anywhere. <laughs> no, nor should you. Uh, let's see. You know this guy, Nuno Betancourt. Holy fuck! This yeah. guy's my favorite. He's amazing. Yeah. He's one of the only guys. I know this isn't exactly your genre of metal, but it's very, very. Hard. It doesn't matter. No, I listen to all this stuff. I mean, if anyone was doing anything on guitar, I was listening to. It. I don't care. Jeff Beck. Extreme, whatever it was, yeah. I would go, I would get through the the verses to get to the. I swear to God, their second album, I went through one time and pulled out the solos, so yeah. I can just listen to the solos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked the singer for a while. I realized the error of my ways as I got yeah. older. But the thing about Nuno is, for obvious reasons, once you're playing incredibly 
fast it becomes very hard to have an individual style. Yeah. And somehow he just kept a little bit of mayonnaise on all of his notes, no matter yeah. how fast he was playing. He's got a lot of personality in his guitar playing, and that's a really difficult thing to have, to, to be able to play a few notes or play incredibly fast notes. Yeah. At first when you were playing this, I was like, I know what this is, I know what this is. That's not Ingve, it's not, no, it's Nuno Betancourt, because he's also doing this thing where it sounds like he's picking every single note, and he's not all the time. And he's also got this wah oscillating throughout the yeah. whole thing, this wah pedal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, speaking of Angfei, what conversation would be complete without? See, so you like oh, yeah. this stuff. I love all this stuff. No, I have. Angfei is a huge, takes up a lot of space in my head. But his guitar sounds like a flute on this record, too. This is one of the best guitar records of all time. So this is Rising Force's first yes. one, with, and this is the song Black Star. That's exactly yeah. right. I did not realize, now I will, I will confess to being guilty, I never even really checked into him because, uh-huh. you know, Unleash the Fucking Fury. And, sure, and, sure, and sure. He's, he's got fu- a big personality on top of it. Fired lead singers left and right, sure. wore his own t-shirt all the time. Yeah. There's a lot of knocks on Engve, but uh, yeah. I did not realize until I listened to this, I listened to a couple of the Shrapnel guys, guitar people. Sure, without remember, a doubt. Inside, big- inside cover of every guitar magazine guitar was... for the practicing musician the first inside yeah. page oh yeah no I had most of those records too so like I still listen to the Richie Kotzen Richie Kotzen is a monster guitar which, player the album sounds terrible I'm sure it was recorded really quickly but I mean the, the oh, oh the, the very first record yeah 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 I think everyone was still and also these guitar players like at the time they were like 17 year olds like Paul Gilbert yep Jason Becker, Marty Friedman. I think Friedman produced the first Kotzen album. You you may be right, yeah. <laughs> but and Kotzen became this whole crazy thing. This whole other, he started doing vocals, and it turns out he sounds like Chris Cornell. And yes, you know, and um, he's just a, a full musician with a and just an effortless guitar player. He's he's a lunatic, yeah. Right. But all those guys started out in their, like seventeen. They had probably you know few thousand dollars to make a record yeah they didn't even know what their sound was just yet so it'd no. be like full distortion with distortion on top of distortion so you can't really make out what kind of guitar it is or what pickup they're on or anything absolutely but it didn't matter because that was they were doing it's like watching the olympics you know <laughs> that's exactly what that's exactly what it was like but i didn't realize until l- literally pulling this clip why did this, you take so long in this interview to pull up this stuff this is great <laughs> because you started talking about the the 82 thing and i was like oh it's just too natural of a segue yeah let's yeah. go a little long because i have a couple uh, a couple more more of these sure. I want to talk through. I just didn't. My point is, I, I thought I didn't like Engve, but I like Richie Kotzen, not realizing Richie Kotzen was just doing an Engve impression. As as yeah, as and many, then Richie Kotzen in his mind is doing like a Richie Blackmore impression, and mm-hmm. you know, like all these guys are true, and then they it comes out Engve and. Kotzen comes out Kotzen. Exactly, and that's the way yeah. influence works. Uh, I got, let me see, two more of these. I'm going to guess you know this one. No pressure. I'm I'm stumped a little bit. I keep going. This is the same life being played over and over again. That's what I got from that. What is the, so? I I don't know. It sounds like he's playing a strat. So it, I, that's what I think. So is it Blackmore? It's not. No, that is it's not the, Paul Gilbert. Is it? It is not Paul Gilbert. It is the Immortal Buckethead. Oh, that's Buckethead. So Buckethead is harder to, honestly, Buckethead is harder for me unless he's doing like one of his rhythms and he's doing something like what he's where he's kind of playing bass on guitar. I can't always tell it's him, but he is he can do anything. But I also was gonna say Paul Gilbert, and he does a lot of Paul Gilbert style stuff too. I got the Paul Gilbert Ibanez. Oh yeah, it sure didn't make me sound like Paul Gilbert. Yeah, I got a, I got some Ibanezes. 
I'm yeah. a Gibson guy, but I got some. I got myself a Satriani one. I got uh-huh. Steve Vai one. I got some. I got some. Ideas. I got mine in Midnight Blue. That was the best one I could afford. I used to go to go, you know, uh, Sam or what was it? Guitar- Manny's. Manny's. Go, oh, New York. Can I try the? Can I try the one with the handle? That's way yeah, up top. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, we're you not taking that down for you. We're pretty down. sure you don't have that kind <laughs> of money. I was like, okay, I'll take the Paul Gilbert. That's pretty badass. And uh, finally, can you recognize this menace? Oh yeah, <laughs> just play it anyway, Michelangelo, of course. <laughs> This is so insane. <laughs> Listen to this. That's so... That's so fast. And I don't think he's missing notes. I think he's just... He's doing it. In the video on a four-neck guitar. This whole record is just all about high-mid-range, too. Well, and then the vocals come back. And then sweep arpeggios like up on the 32nd fret. Who cares if they're in key? Yeah. <laughs> it's chromatics are a big part of rock and roll. I mean, you've got this. Jim Gillette on vocals. That's right. I know. Look, I... Every one of these things. I remember... Uh huh. You two can learn how to sing this way and break you, oh, um, ha- and break the, the glass in the camera at your video shoot, as yeah. Jim Gillette re- reportedly did. That's... Uh, I have that somewhere. I, I bought it. I saw that, like, Metal Method had that Jim Gillette vocal thing. And I was like, I don't know if I'm watching this for entertainment, but there's got to be something to be learned for this. Or maybe it's entertainment. I'm not sure. And I don't think I ever got a straight answer from myself on that one. What is going on? I mean, no. I, I'm the guy who had silver leather pants, and, and I'm, <laughs> that I'm, is, I'm decidedly out on the Nitro experience. This is experience. like the 80s. This is where like, or maybe it's early 90s too, because the 80s spills in the early 90s. Yeah. But this is where they put every, like, how do you have like the highest sounding voices, mm-hmm. the craziest drums, and turn the bass off, and basically... How fast can you get your guitars? And that was Nitro. Yeah, it was the 80s taken to the ultimate 80s extreme. Yes. Which may well have happened in 1991. Absolutely. It, yeah. th- then it was like, please, Nirvana, can you, can you sign with a major <laughs> yeah, yeah, label so and put this whole thing into We need, we need a breath. Misery. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time that we have. Thank you so much. It has been a uh, pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. You are at underscore Brendan Small, and for more on, on Twitter, yeah, and uh, the uh, Galacticon album, comic book series, and the short film Galacticon Nightmare, go to galacticon.com, spelled all cool and stuff, or uh, it's also on Funny or Die. Funny or Die, you can go to Funny or Die and check out the short film Galacticon Nightmare. Go to um, galacticon.com. Um, just Google it. It'll show you how to spell it. And check out the comic book. It's a really cool thing. There's a f- nice story that goes along with the, the first record. Second record's available. Check it out. There's a lot of guitar. If you like that stuff, there's a lot of guitar there. If you made it this far, there's a good chance you do. Thanks, yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah.